This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. Isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131 806? And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. And next week we get the train to Utrecht We go where we go to another building with all our documentation, passports, etc. And we get our QR code. When you're in lockdown Melbourne and you can't travel bloody anywhere, that sounds like a treat, not a grumpy. <laughs> it's been a nightmare. It's been a bureaucratic nightmare, but I've got to say... A lot simpler than it probably would have been in Australia and certainly a lot cheaper. A man who's 53, at the top of his profession, who is comfortable enough in his own skin to say, enough, there's more I can learn, there are more experiences to be had and I'm going to have these opportunities which will allow me to grow and be a better leader. I think it's fantastic. Corrie, there is a, well, I think delicacy is probably the wrong word and you would be horrified at this. It's called bitter bollen. Have you heard of bitter bollen? It sounds like something that a cat would throw up with, a fur ball. <laughs> there is a bit of accuracy in that statement. It's a Dutch-based sort of snack. She flicks her hair in a friendly, sort of seductive way and they're in. But she is actually incredibly Machiavellian and it's all about her and her career. And it's just so interesting to see how Jennifer Aniston and this character are evolving. And Reese Witherspoon, meanwhile, is just, oh, is there no end to that woman's talents? Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Don't Shoot the Messenger. This is uh, remote again, as usual, from the world's most lockdown city. And uh, someone is not here in this lockdown city, and that would be my dear friend, Caroline Wilson. Caro, where the hell are you? Hello, Corrie. It's lovely to talk to you again. I'm in Amsterdam, where I will be for some time. Um, As you know, it all happened very quickly and suddenly. But the good news is I'll be able to report in from the other side of the world, up until Christmas anyway, and um, let you know what's going on in Europe. I'll be your European correspondent for the next three months. Is there no end to the global power (laughs) of this little podcast? Everybody, it's so lovely to have you. It's lovely to uh, have our regular sponsors, Red Energy and Prince Wine Store. And, of course, Miles will be joining us with the cocktail cabinet in a little while. Carol, apart from travelling around Amsterdam and hearing why you are there and getting a few travel tips vicariously because, of course, none of us can embark on that, you've got a review of the new Sally Rooney novel. I will be reviewing the new Ottolenghi cookbook. You're grumpy. Uh, I have a screen. So much to discuss, Caro, but any housekeeping to kick off with? And you've got some big news as well, Corrie, but we'll save that just for the moment. I, I gather there's a new addition to the Perkin Loader family. Um, yeah, look, I, I just want to mention um, well, it's sort of a funny story and it's also a lovely story. We received the most beautiful email the other day from a Julie Heard who has raved about the book I spoke to you about, Appointment with Venus. Um, she has been, she had had it on her school reading list in about year seven, back in 1966. Her grandfather was born in Guernsey. This is, called, this of course, is a book that my mother, Julia, reckons that the Guernsey Potato Peel Society, I know I've got the title wrong, is based on a wonderful book set in World War II on a mythical Channel Island. Anyway, um, She's been looking for a second-hand copy for a long time, couldn't find it anywhere. Then a beautiful copy arrived in the mail. It had been tracked down by Julie's daughter daughter in New Zealand. So we read this lovely email. I thought the Julie Heard who got in touch with us was our old journo buddy, Julie Heard. I thought so too. Corrie, I've been meaning to get in touch with Julie for a couple of years now. I've been a very, very slack and terrible friend. We we were great friends, obviously, as cadets. We worked in London together. She stayed in London, had her family there. I think the last time I saw her was after the Athens Olympics. Anyway, I sent her this long and heartfelt email and, you know, talking about what a bad friend I'd been and why I was in Amsterdam. Well, I get an email back from the Julie Heard saying, look, I think you've confused me with another Julie Heard. (laughs) But don't worry. And and she said, I I think she worked um, in Canberra for a while. I've heard of her. And, of course, 
that was the Julie I was thinking of, Juliet Heard. Very, very funny. She and, said, don't and worry. Spelt, and spelt the same way, Caro. That's what I loved about that too. I know, but I should have. the hint should have been 1966 because our Julie Heard would not have been in year seven in 1966 because she'd be a bit younger than that because she's our age. Anyway, this lovely Julie Heard from Geelong has um, assured me that she will keep all of my personal information confidential, <laughs> given that I've absolutely poured my heart out to her. Anyway, very, very funny. But the main thing is what a wonderful, wonderful book that appointment with Venus is. And, um, yeah, there we go. There well, we go. The, well, the, the Julie Heard who made contact knows every aspect of your life now, which is rather, um, which is rather sweet, I have to say. Um, that is, that and, is and the other good news is, sorry to interrupt, but one more thing, is that I've now been in touch, I'm about to get in touch with the other Julie Heard in London, and um, it sparked me to do that, so there you go. Oh, well, good things come out of that, Caro. So let's um, let's talk about why you are on the other side of the world. I, uh, You and I have been doing this podcast remotely now for a few weeks, ever since Melbourne went into its 327th lockdown. But um, you are really remote this time. Can you tell us what happened after we recorded our last podcast, episode 191, a couple of weeks ago? Things moved very quickly for you. Yes. Now, I think we did that uh, the week after the grand final, didn't we? After the D's great win. We did. We did. Yeah. Um, oh, well, it, it became apparent to us, Corrie, probably late. I mean, you know, as you know, the Melbourne... Australian AFL final series is my calendar towards the end of the finals that Rose and Oscar and our beautiful little granddaughter Sunday weren't going to be able to come home because she's still got some medical complications and it was pretty tough for them over here and they really needed us. So um, we put in an application um, in mid to late September, I think it was, late September. Um, the first one was knocked back. It's quite hard, as you know, to get here. It, it really does require a medical emergency, which it became, um, and particularly because the you know the parents really wanted us, needed us to be here to help them. And we, on the second time around, with the help from a wonderful local member, a local MP, um, we got permission to travel. So we left on the Friday after the grand final, and we flew direct to Amsterdam. The good news is Qantas has put a whole lot of flights on, as you know. They're very, very, well, they're pretty reasonable. We got here incredibly quickly on very short notice. To come, we had to um, come for three months. Not a lot of people knew that you were travelling. Uh, the emergency situation of it uh, made it very stressful for both you and Brendan, but... I think what was also stressful for me watching you was the number of forms you had to fill out because, as we often say, you and I hate filling out a form. Oh, I tell you what, Corrie, it's continued, but we'll talk about that later in Grumpy. But, um, look, it, it's a big thing just packing up your life for three months, particularly when you've got a puppy, a nearly six-month-old puppy. But, as you know, um, I had Clementine and Ned in Melbourne. The folks back home is the family, well, that family WhatsApp is called, and they've been wonderful. So um, Queenie is now um, under a new custody arrangement, month on, month off. Um, we packed pretty quickly. I didn't have to think much about packing because there was so much stuff to bring over for Rose. So many people sent over so many lovely presents and ideas and Christmas stuff and presents that I was saving to, you know, to give to her when she got back to Australia, which now won't happen until at least next year. It was just, it was very quick and very stressful. And, you know, me, I'm a bit of a still old-fashioned bill payer. So Clem had to help me do a lot of online bill sorting out, you know, dealing with all the people who help you in your life week in, week out, and also doing it in lockdown, saying goodbye to mum and dad, saying goodbye to the house. Oh, look, it was extraordinary. And over here, the team over here was wonderful. And we've, we're staying in a beautiful apartment in a gorgeous little area called oh, Riverian Bird, I think, Berg, I think it is. And it's sort of the little village is a bit like a tiny version of Armadale and all the Christmas lights, the wintry lights are starting to come on and the autumn's here and the colours are beautiful. We're near a beautiful park called Beatrix Park and the gorgeous young couple who have lent us their apartment are going to spend some time in our house in Melbourne. So all good. 
It's a per it's a perfect swap uh, to to uh, you know to have three months away. You really do want to form your own home, don't you? And it's very discombobulating. I find if I mean I've I've only ever been away once for that long or a bit longer, and you're in and out of a suitcase and you have no sense of home, and that's what travelling is all about, isn't it? It's a bit of fun, all yep. of that. But yep. but you're in a situation where you're both trying to be grandparents. You're all trying to get Sunday into a routine. It's kind of a little bit like a normal life, but not a normal life. It is. It is. Well, it, we're starting to feel normal now. I know the guy at the local coffee shop, and you won't be surprised to know I've sourced a local hairdresser where I'm going to be trying that out this after, later this afternoon. It is open here. I mean, that's the amazing thing. When I last came here, as you know, I came in uh, mid-April, again on an emergency trip, and everything was shut down. It, they'd been in oh, seven or eight-month lockdown then, and things were just starting to open when I left um, in early May. So everything's open. Um, there's a few complications, but not many. There's no masks except for on public transport, and all the galleries are open, Corrie. I've already started that little journey. So it's and, and you can, uh, it's still a novelty to be able to say, oh, should we try out this little bar tonight? Should we try out this little local Lebanese restaurant tonight? It's wonderful. Oh, wonderful. Look, I'm, I'm really pleased, and I'm really pleased that Brendan's there with you. I know how tough it was last time being, uh, you know, such a support to Rose and Oscar, and you did it on your own, and... Uh, well, you know, those of us who know you know that it had um, it was a huge it was a huge strain for you, and then to come back and throw yourself back into the footy. So I hope that you and Brendan and Rose and Oscar and Sunday do get some downtime and some nice holiday time, if that's possible. And um, you and I do love passing on a travel tip, and I just wondered when you had to make this sudden, quick throw it all in a bag in a couple of days. Have you learnt any new tips there, Dal? Well, I, for the first time, Corrie, followed your rule, the 333, and Clem was really strict with me. She said, Mum, three pairs of pants only, three dresses only, and I don't really wear skirts, so no skirts. Um, absolutely so good. I've got, and I have brought three jackets because, you know, it's going to get really cold here as I'm here, but of course, you know, I might just be forced to go and buy a winter coat at some point if they go on sale. Um, that would be one good travel tip. Another good travel tip when you're leaving Australia at the moment is don't worry about um, if people are used to travelling um, business class. Don't trouble worry about travelling economy because there's always at least three or four spare seats, which we managed to get on the way over. And, oh, gee, I don't know what else there is to recommend, Corrie, except that do everything you plan on doing the minute you see it. If you see some lovely ribbon in a little draper's shop, as I did the other day, buy it. I walk past the Van Gogh Museum, and I've never been there because it's always been shut when I've been here. Go into that museum. I've just, yeah, there's, it's just been absolutely wonderful. And, of course, navigating, um, you know, the form filling in and the booking into things, which is sort of tricky when you don't have an overseas bank account. But our daughter has been wonderful. We've spent quite a bit of time in hospital in our first week. And in the second week, we've been doing a bit of babysitting, which has been an enormous amount of fun. And and the minute the sun comes out or it's not raining, we head for the parks because Amsterdam has the world's most beautiful parks. So how are you uh, fitting into the grandmother role and grandfather role, you two? Oh look, oh, it's it's un, it's strange. It, the, the feeling of babysitting is something I just haven't done for so long. That's been the first that sort of memory of sitting on a sofa. You know, once you get the baby to sleep, and oh, what do we do now? Do we watch some TV? Do we have a glass of wine? Oh, maybe we should just have a cup of tea. <laughs> that sort of thing. Um, it is great, as you say, having Brendan here, having a partner in crime. We've done a lot of stuff together, which has been great. Sonny loves being sung to. She's already got another grandfather and grandmother of the year, her other grandparents, Jane and Johan. Johan's been here and is um, still here visiting other family in Sweden. He's been here since I left in May. Caro, with the singing, have you tried the old... Um... Yeah, while well, shepherds wash their flocks by night. Corrie, isn't that funny? I sang it to her just the other day. She would have loved it. Put a big smile on her face. Rose and Oscar were killing themselves. And um, 
my Joni Mitchell repertoires come in handy, Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, a few that I've, you know, dragged back from the kids. It sort of comes back to you, doesn't it? Look, it's just, she's such a beautiful, beautiful little creature. When she smiles, you just, you know, want to just not let her go. And um, so it's just been absolutely wonderful. I can't wait for you to meet her. I can't wait either, and I and I do love the fact that it, it you know people say to you when you become a grandparent everything comes back to you from when you were mothering or fathering, and it's so true, it's so true. All those things come back. So we're in a bit of a coronavirus uh, spin here in Melbourne, but what um what what is the mood in Amsterdam? What what are the figures and and how are people getting about their daily lives? Oh, the figures no one even really looks at. I, I think. For, for the whole of the Netherlands the other day, it was still in the thousands. In Amsterdam, oh, look, I'm thinking mid to high hundreds. Um, they have just introduced a special vaccination certificate situation, um, which is a QR code on your phone. There is really no restrictions except um, I think that, you know, as I said, on public transport, you have to wear masks, but no masks really anywhere else unless you want to, which most people don't seem to want to. And all the shops that, you know, when I was last year, I could go in on my own and wait till the other person left are now completely open. And travelling, you know, you just have to check out where you're going for which country has which rules. But, no, it's uh, very, very different to Melbourne, I've got to say. Completely and does it different. feel a bit odd? Does it feel a bit odd going from uh, lockdown here to non-lockdown there all of a sudden overnight? Well, it, it did a bit when we we spent our first week in a hotel, and there seemed it sounded like as they spelt out the various rules. We stayed at a lovely hotel for our first week on Bondle Park. Um, we were getting a bit nervous, but then we realised that the Dutch are a very laid back group of people. They they say it straight. Their sense of humour is different to ours, but they are such nice people, and. They're just getting on with their lives. It, it's sort of, I guess, it's the vaccination thing. If you're vaccinated, everything's absolutely fine. Yeah, yeah. So, what, was, so, what was your first tourist outing when you arrived? Oh, I think it was a gorgeous little... I, I did go to the Van Gogh Museum, which was, oh, so beautiful. And such... It's all been renovated um, and it's incredible. But a beautiful little hidden away place near the American bookstore, which is sort of towards the centre of town called Bayanoff. And it's a... Um, there, it, it was an order of women, Catholic women, not nuns, who have been here since, um, oh, almost... I think sort of from the 15, 1600s, they're like these beautiful old apartments hidden away behind a gate and there's a little chapel in there and you walk through this tiny little enclave. It, it's like, it, it's almost Belgian in feel, um, like somewhere in Bruges. And these women still live there and live sort of solitary lives on their own and they are Catholic, but as I said, they're not nuns. It's a fascinating place and I would highly recommend it. Right. Well, you know, when I get to travel overseas in about 22 years' time, I'll remember it, Cass. What? <laughs> um, we're, we're actually um, off to Utrecht next week, but that's related to my grumpy, which I'll tell you about. So how is it in Big Melbourne? I hear that the numbers were pretty bad today, but the vaccination numbers are good. Well, the vaccination numbers are good. We are, uh, for first doses, I think we're ahead of the national average, which is great, but... It was a real kick in the guts today. We're recording this, you and I, on Thursday um, to discover that 2,297 cases, new cases. And um, it, it's, wow. just, it's just bewildering. And people I've spoken with today, I've done a bit of travelling up and back, which I'll talk about in a minute, and around about the whole um, <laughs> allowed, allowed to do it, but... Um, I've had the have had the phone going nonstop, just touching base with friends and things and family because it's been a while, and everybody is absolutely and utterly fed up. We're envious of our Sydney friends, who of course celebrated Freedom Day earlier this week. We're envious of the rest of Australia. You know, Carol, you get on Instagram or something, and there are friends in Queensland or Perth, and they're celebrating birthdays. They're having weddings. Uh, you know, to cuddle your grandchildren, to just kind of have a holiday, to have a break, 
None of this, yep. as you know, is possible here. And I have a couple of concerns that have kind of come my way through different circumstances. Huge concern among parents of teenagers, particularly that 14, 15, 16-year-old age group. And also uh, I know a couple of people who are parents of kids who are doing year 12. So this is their second year, Caro, that those kids haven't had a chance to celebrate the end of the school year, the rituals coming to the top of the tree, the last couple of years of school, all of that's just been wiped away. And then I have all my retail friends who are absolutely exhausted because they've been trying to keep their businesses alive. They're highly anxious. I just think Melbourne is weary and it's flat and no one wants to make any plans. You just don't see a lot of smiley faces, to be honest. Oh, okay. Well, I've been getting the vibe from others, though, that we're still headed for to open up when we hope because of the vaccination numbers and that the weather's been nice. Yeah, nice day today. No, that's true. And yesterday, that's absolutely true. That that uh, that does help your spirits, no doubt about it. But, but I think people are just, uh, there's a nervousness that what if we don't, uh, you know, what if there's some disappointment? I think we're now actually... So we're so used to preparing ourselves, aren't we, emotionally? It's a really hard thing to explain how you just you can't have faith in in the promises of government anymore because suddenly the whole thing could go sideways. So, look, I hope the vaccination um, uh, the vaccination count continues to be a good one and people are doing the right thing, and I hope that we get there in a couple of weeks. I tell you what, there's going to be a lot of hugging and celebrating when we all can see each other again. Yes, I I can absolutely imagine, and I'm sure that it will happen. Um, the numbers, I mean, the numbers in some parts of Europe are still extraordinary, but people are vaccinated, so as long as the hospitals are coping, then I guess everyone else is. But, Corrie, you've got some other big news. Yes, well, hence the travelling today. I went to pick up my new puppy, Caro. Oh, finally. And finally. Tell me she's all about it. Us. Well, there was, there's been a lot of discussion, in fact, dare I say, a bit of a marital tiff during the week about the name of the puppy because, as you know, I still wanted Snips. And it, like, no one in the family wants Snips except Harriet. And so, and she's only trying to please me. I know that. I know she's just trying to flatter me and try and be the favourite grandchild, so I get that. <laughs> but, but I have come around to Panda and when I picked her up today, she has a certain sort of, you know, snip sounds a bit kind of cheeky and fun. And there's something about this puppy that's quite regal, actually, Caro. She's oh. quite dainty. She's quite dainty or she's quite, I don't know. So anyway, she's black and white. Well, she's mostly black, but she has a white tummy so and white paws. So Panda seems to be the name. Um and she's been, we've been home about three hours and she's uh, already done the things that she has to do on the grass outside and um, had a little post-travel meal and all going well. So far, so good. Oh, that is so exciting. I've seen, well, you sent me a photo on our WhatsApp and she's absolutely beautiful. Tell me, tell me, um, why the long trip to pick her up? What was the story? Where did she well, come you, from? Well, you know, when you buy, um, we, we bought from a breeder interstate, so they have a puppy transport system. And Dane, the gentleman, <laughs> you thought it was Dane Beams in, in a new role. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, not the former AFL football player. No, this lovely man, Dane, runs the tra pet transport company and he tells you where he's going to meet you. And so I pulled up at this um, this place uh, about 100 kilometres from where I am at the moment. And um, there were a lot of other excited people in the park waiting for Dane to arrive. So there was oh. a lot of pop a lot of puppy discussion. And I must say, Caro, for the first time, certainly since lockdown, I actually had butterflies in my tummy. <laughs> So where was where were they coming from these puppies? Sounds they a bit were coming, dodgy, they were coming from they were coming from just out of Goulburn, so not far from Canberra, and they've been in the truck for the day or for five or six hours, and um, and they the it was immaculate because I I had to have a bit of a poke around. We were only allowed because of you know social distancing and everything one at a time up to the truck. Everybody kind of wanted to jump onto the truck and grab their puppy. They were so excited, but one at a time. 
And so Dane showed me the truck and the little cages. They were a really good size. They weren't tiny and mean. They were a good size and they were all ventilated. And um, I think he had about 10 or so in the truck. And it was clean as, and out, you know, he matches my name and ID and everything. And then out comes our puppy and I just melted. And so I'd gone to the local fruit shop to get a big box and I'd lined it with towels and I had it on the seat and she was really good on the way home. I only had to do one little stop to give her some water. And um, yeah, she's just, she's a ripper. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I feel you know, because Bearsy was black, there's this, I don't know, there's just this lovely connection, even though they're a different dog. This one is a Bordoodle. But, um, yeah, I'm very excited. I'm really a board A Bordoodle. What's that a cross between? Obviously a Poodle. Yes, and a, and a um, Border Collie. Which you've also had before. Which I've also had before. So it's That's like so some, funny. Some total of my two dog parts. So, yeah, so we're, very, we're very excited. Well, it has been, if you don't mind me saying, a bit of a 10-act play, so I am absolutely delighted. And certainly the name, I mean, you're saying Snips and Panda, but there were a few deviations along the way, weren't there? I still like Cubby, but that'll have to be the next one. Oh, probably. Well, I I am keen on Margaret, as you know, but um, a couple of my friends have said, God, my mother's name is Margaret. You can't do that. But um, (laughs) anyway, I'm making the most Panda and I off on an adventure. So are you going to let her sleep on your bed tonight? She already has been, Caro. Oh. <laughs> because when I, was, when I was first setting up a, a while ago for the podcast, I actually, um, I do like to do it in my bedroom on the bed and she, Pete wasn't home yet, so she wanted to be with me, so I put her on the bed and she lay there perfectly still, thinking maybe if I don't move too much, they'll let me stay here for the night. Oh, look, you you know, you've you've said um, that we need to talk about puppy rearing tips. I just think they need a lot of love at the beginning. Um, Make them feel at home. The food, well, obviously I've got a Labrador, so the food's sort of slightly different. But, um, oh, they're just so sweet. You're going to have the best time. And, again, I can't wait to meet her and I can't wait for Queenie to meet her, which I guess will happen before I meet her. Before too long. Well, according to Clem, Queenie is now the best trained dog in Melbourne and um, Clem's just picked up the, you know, the slack which we, she claims we left. And Queenie now sits before she eats. She can drop. She can deliver balls. She's just become, yes, anyway. She'll be speaking, so I'm... She'll be speaking French and cooking <laughs> by the time you get back. Without further ado, Corrie, I think after all that, we need a drink. So it's time to open the cocktail cabinet. Miles Thompson joins us from Prince Wine Store, bringing Melburnians the greatest wine in the world. Remember, you can visit princewinestore.com.au and use our promo code MEWS to receive a listener discount. Hello there, Miles. Hello, hello. How are you? I'm terrific. And as from what you've just heard, we, Corrie and I could, well, I could certainly use a drink. And I won't be <laughs> trying it myself in the next little while. I'm looking forward to some of your Dutch recommendations in the coming weeks. But um, you were going to bring us um, a vigneron, a local little-known vigneron that we mightn't know much about, that we should be trying. You may or may not. I'm, I'm not quite sure. It's, it's kind of someone maybe a little well-known and someone not so much so to speak. So it's a winemaker called River Ferguson Mayer, who was the son of Timo Mayer. Do you know Timo Mayer from from the Yarra Valley? Well, I know the name, but yes, not not personally, but I recognise it. Yeah, so he's a a real character, Timo Mayer, German, you know, he's lived in Australia for a long time now and has a vineyard called the Bloody Hill. These are wines actually made by his son, who's gone and done a geospatial degree, which is a, a, a land surveying degree, has sort of come back into the family wow. fold. As it often happens, he's sort of come back into the fold to make wine. Now, Timo makes wine from his vineyards uh, on the Bloody Hill there. And this is a project that River has done, and it's sourcing fruit from a couple of little... Um, spots around the Yarra Valley, so Cold Stream for the Chardonnay, I think Upper Yarra for the Pinot and Cabernets, um, I think Cold Stream as well. So he makes a couple of wines. They're really interesting. They're really, they're a bit lighter, a bit fresher than than his father's wines. 
lovely sort of bit of funkiness to them, a little bit of that kind of X factor. Um, they're really easy drinking and they're really fantastic value. Um, we were super impressed when we sort of tried them. We, we thought they were just awesome, particularly for Yarra Valley. They're, they're only about, I think, the Pinot, the Chardonnay and the Cabernet, all about $35 on the shelf. Really awesome value. And, yeah, I mean, I'm really interested to, to see what he sort of does over the next few years. Um, not sure if he's going to buy his own, own vineyards or anything, but certainly wherever he's getting his fruit from at the moment, he's really producing really awesome wines. I love On the Bloody Hill. The Bloody Hill, that's a... <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, I think as Timo says, if you had to walk up the hill every day, you'd know why I call it The Bloody Hill. I think that's his... Uh... <laughs> that's his joke. So, so Miles... <laughs> Which um, which would you actually recommend? What's a wine we should be buying from you guys? From from the May from the Mayer Bloody Hill yes. range. I think the Chardonnay is just really awesome. It's really fantastic. But look, the Pinot is a really close second. I mean, that's kind of what the Yarra does best. So I suppose that's no surprise at all. But um, the Chardonnay, I, I really liked. Um, has a bit of a kind of wild edge to it. A little little bit of that X factor that you sort of look for and. Yeah, you know, really, really fantastic with wine, and just but just great to drink at the same time. So that would be my pick. brilliant, brilliant. I'll and put, um, how I'll, much is that going to set us back? The Chardonnay. So they're all thirty-five dollars. Yeah, thirty-four dollars for the Chard, thirty-four for the Pinot. And there's a Shiraz as well. Uh, that's thirty-four, and I think the Cabernet sold out. So the Shiraz, Chardonnay, and Pinot. Sorry, I think I said Cabernet before. But they're all thirty-four dollars. Oh. So really awesome. For the money, there does seem to be a, a lot of um, sort of um, hereditary winemakers now, don't they? It, it tends to be a profession that runs in the family, maybe because of you know owning the vines, I guess. Yeah, definitely. And it seems like in the last sort of five years, there seems to have been a bit of a maybe like not quite changing of the guard, but you know maybe sons and daughters who have sort of you know been in the shadows of their you know parents making wine who are sort of really coming out and coming out with their own labels, you know, doing their own sort of thing or sort of taking over from from their parents. So it seems to be sort of right now, there's in the last maybe five years and there seems to be a bit of that. So, um, yeah, and I think you got you either got to love it or you got to hate it. So, and I think the ones who uh, <laughs> love, love it are, are, are happy to get into it. Miles, that is a wonderful recommendation. And is there anything else you want to leave us with? Any other local wineries that we should know about that you're selling the wares of? Well, the, the other one to talk about quickly is um, who I just we just had in recently as well for tasting uh, was a was a gent called Matt Roulet, and um, he used to be wine rep for Wirra Wirra, and has sort of gone on to do his own thing now. He actually makes wines out of the Yarra. His parents own some vineyards there. And he also does some wines out of the McLaren Vale, which is kind of, you know, from the from his time at Wirra Wirra, has got some great contacts there. So he makes a range of wines. He makes some Yarra Valley stuff, Chardonnay Pinot, that are really fantastic, and a really great Grenache and Shiraz that actually come out of the McLaren Vale. So he's an interesting one to talk to. So the Rule Air wines, um, they're really cool, really interesting wines. Great little winemaker too. So look out for those. The Rule Air. Miles, that's wonderful. I've, I've got to tell you, um, I am amazed at the amount of gin that you can buy in the Netherlands. Obviously, it's everywhere in Australia as well, but we know how much gin is actually made in the Netherlands. And Geneva, you know, they're sort of original gin. That Have you the ever tried that? Yeah, we, we've had some Geneva in the store before, but you don't see it around much here. It's it's not as popular, and I don't actually think a lot of people know about it. So I've, I've tried one or two, but that's it. There must be tons over there, though. Yeah, um, oh, they pack a punch, I can tell you. I think I'll be... And it, and you sort of drink it straight, which is interesting as well. And the right. other thing that everyone that is so in now, which I guess is, again, not surprising because it's everywhere in Melbourne as well, is that all the newest restaurants and the coolest bars seem to serve natural wines. It seems to be well. all the rage. My fellow... Um, parent-in-law, Johan, um, is not such a big fan. I don't mind some of the orange wines and some of the natural wines. What's your view? <laughs> How long is this show? <laughs> um, <laughs> Thumbs down. I, look, I, I've, my, I, I guess I like, it's, it, it depends on the wine. It really does. I, I, 
you know, the people that I've worked with over the years that have sort of shaped the way I sort of look at wine, I look at the wine in the glass and, and if it's interesting, if it's well-made, if it's got that X factor, yep. if it drinks well or has some of those things or all of those things, you know, and it's not, I don't know, too funky or too unenjoyable, you know, I'm I'm okay with it. I don't mind. So. I, I take it as I see it, I guess, is the best way to put it. So It certainly doesn't last as long, I'll say that, which is probably not <laughs> such a big problem in our house. But um, anyway, Miles, look, there are a couple of great recommendations, so much more to talk about, and we'll be doing it over the next few weeks. But that was a cocktail cabinet for Prince Wine Store. As I said, use the promo code MEWS to try Miles's fascinating-sounding recommendations today to receive the listener discount, and you'll find the links in our show notes. Visit princewinestore.com.au and tell them that Caro and Corrie sent you. Now, Corrie, you have a crush of the week for Red Energy, 100% Australian electricity and gas. I do, Caro. My crush is Alistair Clarkson, the former oh. coach. Well, so I won't I'm, say I won't say anything about people who get cross when I have Richmond crushes. That's fine. Well, I, well, I think go with me on the journey with this one, Caro. This today, it, it uh, news was revealed that Alistair Clarkson has gone to the to the US, where he is going to uh, further his education, study some sporting organisations, uh, do a bit of work over there. He was able to get uh, a, a ticket out of the country because he is travelling for a period of time on work. And I just think that after the boards, the Hawthorne Football Club board's shoddy succession plan with Sam Mitchell, who, you know, who we love, but it was just so poorly handled for Alistair Clarkson. He decided and told everybody that he wanted some time away from the game. And he maintained this consistent line all through after 17 years of coaching senior footy. You know, he just wanted a break. And so despite the serious wooing from Carlton, and I think Collingwood was in there too, and despite all of the flattery that was clearly coming his way and the seductive financial offers and all of that kind of stuff, he's opted for the path of education and self-improvement. And really, who can argue with that? A man who's 53 at the top of his profession, who is comfortable enough in his own skin to say, enough, there's more I can learn, there are more experiences to be had, and I'm going to have these opportunities which will allow me to grow and be a better leader. I think it's fantastic. I agree with you. Obviously, the fact that Hawthorne are paying him $900,000 to not coach next year is, I don't want to be cynical, but that will, that certainly helps knock back the seductive financial offers. So, you know, he's really not working and being paid not to work, which is incredibly fortunate, and that is his right, because Hawthorne effectively sacked him. So, you know, they had to pay him out. And, Corrie, just to add to your crush of Clarko, um, he's also become an ambassador for Tasmania, and he's going to advise the Tasmanian government as they still work to get their own team. So that gives him a big tick in my book as well. That is a great story, that one. Well, uh, anyway, I look forward to seeing how he how he develops as uh, as a professional and also as a person. So, well done, Clarko. I now, still reckon he'll. I still reckon if he goes back to coaching, he'll might punch the old wall. But well, we'll see. We'll <laughs> see. Bless him. Caro, on to on to BSF book screen food, and thank you to our Red Energy supporters. We love you guys. You're 100 percent Australian owned electricity and gas. And I have you at home, um, so and I used to have you in the shop, so I'm a very happy, satisfied customer, and I hope some of our potties are too. On to book, first of all, Cara, and you're going to tell us what you think of the new Sally Rooney novel. My God, the hoo-ha around the global uh, launch of this book was hysterical, actually, on Instagram, I would have to say. Yeah, it um, was described on one podcast I listened to that Clem played me a few weeks ago, a few weeks before I left, as the most hyped book, new release ever, which just is astonishing to me. And thanks to you, Corrie, who gave me a couple of books for my suitcase, both of which I've read in rapid succession. In fact, I've voraciously read um, lately. Um, this was the first one I read. Look, I've got to say... I was a little bit underwhelmed, to be perfectly brutal. You've, you've started it, haven't you? Yeah, I have. You know, I'm probably about 100 pages in, 
And I would have to say I am underwhelmed as well. Look, her, her first novel, Conversations with Friends, was a really, really lovely book. Her second one, Normal People, was the worldwide smash hit. And that uh, was a lovely story. It was a, a sort of a quite fraught sort of love story, real, very described in really accurate ways what it was like to be young and awkward. And there was a whole rich and poor thing and class thing and you know, a bit of a story about academia as well. She's obviously Sally Rooney, brilliant, lovely, not brilliant, a very, very good, bordering on brilliant Irish author who obviously knows a lot about what it's like to go to university, go to college, very interested in class. She's very, very talented. But I think in with this book, she's become a little bit too self-obsessed and a little bit too self-absorbed. It's a story of four different individuals. The main character is a successful writer, guess who, who has some serious emotional problems and has just um, actually had some very serious mental health problems and she's actually been hospitalised for them. Her best friend, their male older best friend, who is a very successful, I suppose you'd call him lobbyist, and the original character, the author, who, who has obviously got a bit of Sally Rooney in her, a man she meets online on a, on a blind date who lives in the seaside town that she sort of escaped to, to escape the world. On one level, it's just a very simple love story, sort of four-way love story involving two different couples that's incredibly fraught, punctuated by emails between the two female characters and... There's just a lot of angst in these emails. It's basically the theme is who even cares about the lives of four small people when there is so much going on in the world, when the world is so challenged. Um, the pandemic comes into it very late in the novel, but, you know, when we have global warming, when we have all these crises to do with all the world problems, world wars, um, you know, as I said, climate change, it's just there is so much um, almost smart email writing referring to you know theories emanating from the ice age i don't know i just i just felt it was a little bit too self-obsessed and took a long time to get to um to get anywhere having so said that and a, and a bit showy off for you do you think yes a bit look up we're, we're so clever that we worry about all these problems that you sort of go well of course you worry about everybody worries about these but i, I look i think um I, I would not recommend it, but I don't. I think she's all. I, I felt as though she was almost trying too hard to show a different side to her, and I'm just not. I think you can do that without widening, without going into the macro issues that we face as as humans on this planet. But look, having said all of that, um, I did enjoy it. I read it. I wouldn't say I don't recommend it, but it is as big a smash hit over here as it is in Melbourne, and. Um, I guess, what can I say? Give it a read, but I don't think it's as good as the first two. Well, she, you know, she's a writer of such potential in the ideas department, isn't she? She could really, like relationships is her forte and her her generation is her strength. And she's her other couple of novels have had real heart, I think. And I don't know, I just was a bit bored reading these e this email exchange. You know, where was the depth? And yet when you read a book, for example, like you mentioned before, the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society, where it was, you know, the letters, the letters had an intensity. The characters mentioned in the letters came to life. There was a vibrancy. But yep. I felt Sally Rooney's emails, I was bored out of my brain. Do you think we're a bit critical of it because of our age? No, I think that, um, and I think there will be people younger than Sally because, of course, she sort of really struck a note, didn't she, with the late teens, 20-somethings. I'm wondering now that she's sort of a 30-something, whether the 20-somethings will be going, oh, Sally, do. I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But, look, it, it's still... It's still a very clever theme, and I wouldn't diss it completely, but um, it's certainly not the best book I've read since I've been here, and I'd love to talk about um, the, another Sarah Winman I've read in the next few weeks. But anyway, that's my book. Now, speaking of anticipated, Corrie, The Morning Show is back, and I only realised that when you told me you'd watched it. 
So, Kara, yes, I'm reviewing The Morning Show, or as it is also known, The Morning Wars, season two, Apple TV. You and I talked about this last year on the podcast. This is the sensational show based around a morning breakfast television show set in contemporary times. Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon are the unlikely pair of co-hosts of this morning show. And I really, really urge people, if they haven't seen season one, get a hold of it because the acting performances of the two women are outstanding. But also in particular, I have to mention Steve Carell, who is uh, plays such an amazing role as the very charismatic Mitch Kessler, uh, one of the great stars of the network, who is involved in a hashtag Me Too situation within the network. And um, I thought season one was great. It ends on an absolute cliffhanger of an episode. And season two takes us into uh, nine months after that particular um, explosive moment. And the interesting thing, Caro, about this, uh, about season two is they started filming it in February last year. Three weeks later, they had to abandon it because of COVID-19, as we know, hit the US in a huge way. So all filming, all production centres around the country just ground to a halt. And then they picked it up again. I think they started um, in October. They resumed filming. But what they did, Cara, really cleverly was that they brought the COVID-19 scenario into a completely revised script. And I think it's really worked. Now, it hasn't worked in Billions, which I know is our um, colleague Craig Hutchison's favourite show. It's also a huge, um, oh, big in my life as well. Billions at the moment is dealing with COVID-19 and they're just wearing masks and it's really such a sort of crappy attempt to bring it into the script. Whereas The Morning Wars or The Morning Show, as it's also known, has has almost brought COVID-19 and the menace of the pandemic and a newsroom trying to cover the pandemic. It's almost like it's another character. It's absolutely terrific. You'll really love it. One question, does Steve, because there was a big question as to whether Steve Carell would come back or not, the Mitch Kessler role, Mitch role. Steve Carell is back in season two. Isn't Jennifer Aniston one of the most underrated actors? I think she's so good. Look, I think she really has grown into this role of Alex uh, Levy. Alex, um, Alex is a really complicated character. Uh, people around her warm to her. They kind of get sucked into her vortex. They do things for her. They find themselves rescuing her, and she flicks her hair in a in a friendly sort of seductive way, and they're in. But she is actually incredibly Machiavellian, and it's all about her and her career. And it's just so interesting to see how Jennifer Aniston and this character are evolving. And Reese Witherspoon, meanwhile, is just, oh, my God, is there, is there no end to that woman's talents? And the other one I wanted to mention is our big crush of about 30 years ago, Billy Crudup, as Corey yep. Ellis, the network head. He comes back again in this episode. And a wonderful role played by Juliana Margulies. You remember her from um, yes. ER? Yes, I do. She was, she was and Dr Doug's love interest. And and the lawyer show, you know, the good lawyer or the good yeah, yes, that's right, yeah, yeah. the good or whatever it's called. Um, yeah, so she plays uh, a, another a, another anchor and a serious journalist in the network. So all in all, highly recommend season two of the Morning Show, or as we know, also called the Morning Wars on Apple TV. Now off to food. Do you want to kick it off or shall I? Oh well, I, I just want to mention I've gone back to. Um, Simple. Um, I, I should mention, Corrie, I am living in the, in the apartment of clearly two of the most impressive foodies. <laughs> I have. They have gadgets here I have never seen. They have grains and flowers here I have never heard of. They have every ingredient under the sun and every cooking device under the sun. They have... Carol, isn't it, well, isn't it wonderful? Checker Ch Ch and Charlie in Ballarat, my daughter and son-in-law, they're foodies as well. And you open up their pantry or you walk into their pantry because they actually have a whole room dedicated to their spices, their grains, everything's in a neat order. And the gadgets, I mean, is there no gadget that these two don't have? I love cooking in their kitchen. 
Well, I'm feeling the same way. I haven't quite mastered everything yet, but they certainly have a great cookbook shelf too, and they have Otto Lingi's Simple. And Johan, aforementioned um, father-in-law of Sunday, has been here, as I told you, and he has he actually cooked for me and Brendan on our arrival into the apartment as we did the handover because he'd been staying here. And he did his meatballs have become one of his specialties. And the... The recipe, the Otto Lingi beef meatballs with lemon and celeriac, um, which involves basically beef, mince, onion, breadcrumbs, parsley, egg, all the usual stuff, but also allspice, garlic, cloves, turmeric, fennel, paprika, chicken stock and lemon juice. They were the best meatballs I have tasted in years. I will put the recipe up on our show notes. It's obviously in simple, which everyone knows, but... It's made me revisit this book and realise just how brilliant. And, of course, the um, apartment owners here, our friends, have um, every Otto Lingi. They have a lot of the brilliant cookbooks we all have in Melbourne, including Alison Roman, and some I've never heard of. So I'm pretty happy, Corrie. Well, speaking of Otto, as um, I can just feel our friend and friend of the pod, Jeff Slattery, screaming because he thinks <laughs> you and I do nothing but talk about Otto Lingi's cookbook. But... This is more of a group. Uh, this is more of a group production, Jeff. I'll have to tell you, it's the kitchen of Ottolenghi Test Kitchen, um, own, known as OTK among the clan. And this book came out a week, a couple of weeks ago, and it's called Shelf. And Caro, I am in love with it, and I am in love with a recipe I made last night, which is. Easy, tasty, delicious, and be, and all of the all of it could be used in a variety of ways. Zatar salmon and tahini, and basically after you've pat dried your salmon and given it a coating of uh, your salmon fillets and given it a coating of zatar uh, and a bit of this and a bit of that, um, you cook in a pan spinach and garlic and lemon juice and tahini. And then you put the salmon back and finish the cooking. In it, it, Honestly, it is absolutely brilliant. It is easy. You do have to have the za'atar. You do have to have sumac. You do have to have a couple of those tricky things in your pantry, granted. Not a problem in this apartment, Corrie. It's all here. Checked it out. <laughs> so I'm going to put this on the show notes as well, but I, I really recommend Ottolenghi Test Kitchen Shelf. It's a red and pink book. And people will, once our bookshops in Melbourne are, have reopened, people will see it everywhere because I think I've seen it in just about every window of every lockdown bookshop in Melbourne. So that was BSF for Red Energy, powered by the mighty Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. And as we always say, isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131 806? Now, Caro, I can't imagine what you would be grumpy about in Amsterdam in autumn, but would you like to tell us? Well, Corrie, I mentioned before that we're off to Utrecht in um, the coming days. The reason we are going to Utrecht is because even though we are both fully vaccinated um, and we needed to be to leave the country and there was a lot of stress and angst about all of that and did we need to have new COVID tests or didn't we? And it all depends on what airline. At one point, we were headed to Ferntree Gully the day before we left for a COVID test. Anyway, we arrive in Amsterdam only to learn that you need to prove you are vaccinated everywhere you go. They've just introduced this rule. In fact, they introduced it the week before we arrived. But you need a special QR code. To get the QR code, you have to have um, your vaccination certificate approved by the Netherlands. They don't approve vaccinations that take place outside the European Union, basically outside the EU. So our good old Australian green thing, you click on your phone to prove you're vaccinated, does not cut it here. You cannot imagine the red tape, the bureaucracy we had to go through to work out exactly how we got this QR code. Now, you don't need it to get into most galleries. You do need it for restaurants and bars. Most of them are nice and say they just accept your Australian one, even though to them it looks like absolutely nothing. You can't travel without this QR code. We were told you go to Utrecht to this special Department of Health to get it, but no, before that you need a social security number. Guess what? Brendan and I now have social security numbers in the Netherlands. 
We've been to some far-flung municipality. We were told it was going to be a long wait. We got them immediately. We filled out forms. We didn't have to pay anything. And next week, we get the train to Utrecht, we go, where we go to another building with all our documentation, passports, etc., and we get our QR code. It might sound very Carol, boring. But... Can I can I tell you, when you're in lockdown Melbourne and you can't travel bloody anywhere, that sounds like a treat, not a grumpy. <laughs> It's been a nightmare. It's been a bureaucratic nightmare, but I've got to say a lot simpler than it probably would have been in Australia and certainly a lot cheaper. So um, just a warning to everyone, be prepared. You're going to have to get a QR code. But the good news is we're now um, social security number holders, which we'll have for the rest of our days. So that's good. Well, that's great. Good. Any And next week I'll, I'll be able to report back from the fair city of Utrecht and um, apparently I'm going to climb the world's, well, the Netherlands' highest church spire, going to go to a nice restaurant in the middle of Wilhelmina Park and check out what is, I'm told, a little city that is sort of a minute, miniature Amsterdam. So looking and, forward and to knowing, that. And knowing you, knowing you, you'll find a hairdressing salon somewhere there. Oh, I would have been by then. Don't be ridiculous. I'll be going the day before for the trip. Have you done all your waxing and your legs and all those things? No, but I'm looking forward to getting my nails done, I must say. That is something that I haven't had time to do yet. Look, there's a lot to do when you're not when you're not working. There's a lot of organising and setting up a life. You're doing the most important job of all, which is babysitting. But um, I can tell you what, the women of Melbourne are feeling a bit hairy and... Um, in need of a bit of a cut and polish. Yes, I, I did hear that. I also hear there's been um, some illegal hairdressing and cut and polishing going on, and I'm not surprised. Anyway, Corrie, I think it's time to kick off six quick questions for Red Energy, and are you happy for me to kick it off? Why don't you? Oh, another Hawthorne-related question. Is it time for Jeff Kennett to step down as president? Well, I think given the ructions of today, yes, probably. So, as we know from a couple of days ago, ex-Australian super boss Ian Silk is mounting a challenge with former premiership player Andy Gowers. They've had enough of Jeff Kennett's grip on the board and uh, they have been joined today, I believe, by former premiership players James Morrissey and Bruce Stevenson uh, who are launching a website, a GoFundMe page, and they're ready to take aim at Jeff. So I think when there's enough of a movement amongst the masses, it would be a dignified thing if Jeff Kennett did not fulfil the last two years of his presidency. Surely Hawthorne has had enough instability and question marks over it for the last couple of months. Yes, so I, think his, I, I think his handling of the Clarko saga um, probably sealed his fate in my view. I think that's a very good call, Corrie. Um, now, Caro, is there one Dutch delicacy or a Dutch culinary movement you you are happy to have back in your life, or a little maybe a little food shop? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Oh, look, the the best um, bakery ever. Well, it's a bakery and a wine shop because these things go hand in hand. Here is called Levin et Levin, which is Le V I N. Sells a lot of natural wine, which clearly Miles doesn't approve of, and the most incredible pastries. But, Corrie, there is a, well, I think delicacy is probably the wrong word, and you would be horrified at this, but it's called bitterbollen. Have you heard of bitterbollen? It sounds like something that a cat would throw up, a furball. <laughs> Well, there is a bit, there is a bit of accuracy in that statement. It's a Dutch-based sort of snack. And I suppose you could describe it as it looks a bit like maybe an arancini ball, but inside it, instead of um, rice or risotto, is sort of a very thick sort of stew, thickened with um, sort of a roux or a stock, and it's loaded with meat, although you can get vegetarian bitter bollens now. Um, usually beef or veal, minced or chopped, and so you bite into this warm, beautiful little ball of breadcrumbs, fried breadcrumbs. Well, and good you, for the diet. Oh, it is incredible. Absolutely incredible. I can highly recommend it. Never seen them anywhere else but Amsterdam and absolutely love them. Um, Corrie, should Prince Charles be telling Scott Morrison to attend the Climate Change Conference in Glasgow? 
he has every right to. He's a long-time environmentalist. He's been very public on global warming for years, Carol. Even when he was married to Diana, he was talking about this. And if he, he has a right to express his view. I, I certainly didn't see his comment when I listened to it again the other day. I didn't feel in any shape, way, or form, the tone of his voice was the future king telling the colonies what to do. I, I just felt he was a bit sort of stunned and surprised. And I have to say, Cara, last night we had a webinar with Malcolm Turnbull and I asked him, uh, well, I started calling him Mr Turnbull. He did say, Cara, call me Malcolm, which so now Malcolm and I are besties. And, um, and, I, and I did ask him what was his view of Scott Morrison at this stage deciding not to go to Glasgow. And Malcolm Turnbull said that he found it odd and peculiar, but that perhaps if there was an election coming, that would be a reason for him to be staying in Australia. And I said, oh, is there anything that you'd like to share with the group here, Malcolm, my new best friend? <laughs> and what did he say? Well, he said he didn't know, but it was just the way it slipped off the tongue. I thought, oh, that's so interesting. So, yeah, I think Prince Charles and anybody else should be throwing at brickbats at Scott Morrison for not attending the Glasgow um, conference. I think that's pretty fair. Now, while well, we're if it's the... not if it's not Scott, if it's not Prince Charles, it'll be the News Limited press. It'll be Rupert Murdoch, who suddenly have become the climate change activists. They. Yeah. So, in one in one of the greatest turnarounds I've ever seen, they are running pages now on how we can um, work with renewables and how it's so important. I, that's just a little segue. I, I, just, I just think the I mean the overarching quote for this conference, I believe, is everybody who said, you know, if you're there, you're part of history. And I just don't know why Australia, our Australian leader, has decided not to be part of history. Anyway, that's complicated. While we're on the subject of the royal family, I wondered whether you were more excited about season five of The Crown, and there's a lot of hype about that, um, or the new Diana movie called Spencer with Kristen Stewart in the lead role. Well, there is a lot of hype about that too, the movie Spencer, and I think they've called it Spencer to sort of, because um, it refers to the lead up to Diana and Charles's divorce. And oh, look, I know people think we're obsessed by this and our English friend Thea is probably a little bit horrified that we talk so much about the royals. But Kristen Stewart, Stewart playing Diana is fascinating to me. And it does look quite dark. Um, and it's about the moment, I guess, she becomes Diana Spencer again and not um, Princess Diana. But I didn't realise season five of The Crown was so close, nor did I real, um, realise it. Is it Larissa Dubecky is playing Diana? Uh, yes. Which is just fascinating to me. I mean, I'm I'm really looking, no, no, much more excited about season five of The Crown, which, as we know, has been an absolutely brilliant series. Now, Corrie, which autocorrect moment tickled your fancy this week? Well, I hope this doesn't lose anything in the translation across the airwaves because I wish I was in the studio telling you this because I wouldn't be able to do it without laughing. So anyway... So I was listening to my favourite podcast after our podcast, of course, Fee and Jane's Fortunately, and they had a segment on autocorrect uh, in, in your texting and so on, and an email, came, an email from a listener came in, and the listener told the ladies the story of a message he sent to his cycling group. They cycle most mornings, and he'd woken up on this particular morning of the usual ride, and he was feeling a bit under the weather, so he texted the WhatsApp group, staying in bed this morning with a chesty cough. Autocorrect sent it as chesty cougar. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> and, and, of course, the WhatsApp group went nuts on that, as you can imagine. So that was just, I know I'm, I'm grabbing someone else's material here, but I was listening to this the other morning when I was walking on my own because you have abandoned me for Amsterdam. And I was in fits of laughter. Cars were going past. They must have just thought, what, who is she and what is she on? I'll have some of that. Um, Carol, what's, the late, what's this week's <laughs> latest Dutch fact, fact? I want to ask you a Dutch fact every week. Well, my first Dutch fact is that they have Dutch auctions here and they really do exist. I did not realise, <laughs> I did not realise that 
the reason they're called Dutch auctions is because that's the way you buy a house or an apartment or anything really in Amsterdam. You look at a house or an apartment and you decide that you want to buy it and you name your price, as do five other people or four other people or two other people or ten other people, and the best price wins. And there's no coming back. There's no second chances. It's wow. actually ter- it's terrifying. It is. Yeah, in fact, ver- when you think when you think about that, where did that saying come from? And now you've explained it. It's um, very very different here. There's all rules about you, you sort of own the apartment, but it, it's in a or the house, but is it a hundred year land lease? And sometimes you own it until 2058, or you might own it for another 10 years. So you have to pay more. It's not worth as much when you sell it. Very complex, but. The Dutch auction is the way you buy property and it is the only way and there are no other options. So um, little did we know. That's And, Corrie, there are so many weird and wonderful facts about this city. I did the rubbish last time I got back, but um, I've got a few more for you next week and I'll keep you posted week in, week out, reading voraciously. I have abandoned you on the walking track, but my step count would make you very proud of me. And um, lots of walking, lots of bike riding, lots of outdoor activity while... It's not raining or snowing. So um, I'm missing you, old friend, but I'm looking forward to hearing about you and the exploits of Panda when we meet again next week. Well, I, I think you can take back the old. I mean, old... In terms of old friend, old yes, buddy. Yes, yes, thank you. Thank Long you time, much. buddy. Well, we're Long. all missing you, but we're, we all think it's great that you and Brendan are there with Rose and Oscar and Sunday and um, give her a big kiss from me and I hope they're all doing doing okay and Caro really and truly I can't tell you how excited I was to jump on today to talk to you because no one else is traveling and I knew you you're always so um, colorful in your descriptions of places and people and things you've done so I think the potties are in for a real treat over the next three months so everyone join us again next week we'd love to hear from you don't forget you can contact us carol and i love reading out emails we kept it a bit short this week because we had a full agenda but next week we promise that we'll read more just drop us a line on instagram or facebook or you can even just email miss jane at feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au, feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. And also don't forget that on Apple iTunes, we really appreciate it if you could just press the five stars. That means you really love the podcast, which makes Carol and I feel good about ourselves, but it also more particularly helps others to find us. We thank Red Energy, 100% Australian Electricity and Gas. We love you guys. And, of course, Prince Wine Store, terrific supporters. Thank you, Miles, again. And, Caro, look forward to next week. And what do we say? Don't shoot the messenger. This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. Isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131 806 and Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world.